This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 9th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The regulatory regime of the Bush administration is preparing to depart, and that means furiously attempting to assemble a regulatory legacy. And that means wide-ranging regulatory changes. Tom Fiery, managing editor of Regulation Magazine, says as bad as that might be, regulations themselves often represent a failure of the first branch of government, Congress. It's been shown statistically, at least since the 1940s, uh, with the with the start of of kind of the modern bureaucratic state. Uh, the final quarter of every presidency is dramatic how quickly uh, uh, the regulation activity kicks up. Um, but the bigger question is, are there any really dramatic changes that go down in this final quarter? And interestingly, you know, my sense looking back over the history of, of midnight regulations, uh, very few dramatic changes occur here. These are almost entirely moving the goalposts. I mean, there, there's often uh, a lot of, of sturm and drang from the new guy when these things go down. If you think uh, uh, President Clinton, when he left office uh, at that time, uh, he ended uh, his midnight regulation period was probably the most dramatic of any president. My guess is Bush is going to to eclipse that. But uh, there was a lot of, of outcry about two different uh, Clinton administration initiatives in the final period. One was uh, the arsenic rule, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second because I think that really highlights uh, what this period is really all about. And the other was a, was a, er, was an ergonomics rule, um, you know, workplace safety uh, ergonomics. The ergonomics rule was ultimately thrown out um, by the Bush administration and Congress. It was the only time Congress has ever tossed out a midnight regulation. Uh, the arsenic rule was left to stand after lots and lots of, of media scrutiny and, and, and uh, public outcry and and very little of which was, I think, in any way important. For the Obama administration, presumably, will be fairly regulation-friendly. He's made a bunch of comments about regulation of uh, financial markets and things like that. But uh, what should we expect from Kim in response to a lot of the regulatory changes that President Bush would like to make? To be sure, Obama's... uh you know the special interest groups that he has to pay off are on a different side of the political spectrum. You know these are these are the environmental groups. Uh, these are uh, certain labor unions. Uh, uh, you know, well, labor you know labor in itself. Uh, so he's definitely going to slant regulations uh, that way in the way that Bush tried to slant them the other way. Um, what's important to keep in mind, at least in my interpretation of of presidencies is that regulation is important to all of them, no matter who they are, left or right. It's just which ways do they, do they want to spin these regulations? Uh, which groups do they want to pay off? Keep in mind what regulations really are. It is They are unfinished business from Congress. Now, uh, you know, Congress passes a law, but then the question is, well, how exactly is this law implemented? How is it measured, et cetera, et cetera? And to be sure, Congress can't you know, put those, you know, figure that out in every piece of legislation or Congress would, would never get anything done, which may not be a bad idea, but let's set that aside. Um, they instead leave it up to the bureaucracy to decide, which which really means leaving it up to the, to the president and his people to decide. Okay, that's fine. That's fair enough. But more and more over the past, say, 30 to 40 years, what Congress has also done is say, we're not, we're not only going to make you guys figure out the details of this. We're going to make you and the bureaucracy and the regulatory agencies, we're going to make you figure out, we're going to make you make the hard decisions about this. We're going to say 
we want less air pollution. We want less water pollution. We want safer workers. We want this. We want that. We're pro-good things. We're anti-bad things. But how exactly that's going to get uh, put into place and what difficult trade-offs have to be made, we're going to kick that. We're going to punt that over to, to, the, uh, to the bureaucracy, uh, to the executive office. And that's horribly unfair, I think, because, it, it, first of all, bureaucrats they're not paid to do that. They don't want to do that. They want their marching orders. They want to fulfill it. And instead, they become pinatas, where the left say they're not regulating enough, where the right say they're regulating too much, when really what they're being done is they're being, they're being forced to make judgment calls that, re- that really are supposed to be made in Congress. Uh, and an example of this, um, David Schoenbrod, who uh, NYU law professor has written a lot for Cato, uh, env- environmental guy, environmentalist guy, uh, you know, one of the f- uh, most famous environmentalists of the, of the past 25 to 30 years. So not a classic Cato guy, but nonetheless, he's written this for us. And I think it's true that because Congress kicks all the hard decisions over to the bureaucracy, it means a lot of the hard decisions end up not getting made at all to everyone's detriment. Uh, should we reduce, uh, you know, his famous, ex- his famous example is lead in gasoline that Congress decreed, I think, 1970, we're going to get the lead out. But they never say how, they never say by when, they never say, uh, you know, what trade-offs are to be made. And, and, you know, the fact is it then bounced around the bureaucracy for half a decade before some sort of hard decision was made. Um, Coming back forward, uh, I mentioned the arsenic regulation um, from President Clinton's last few days. Uh, very fascinating story. Almost all drinking water has absolutely no arsenic in it at all and never has been. Uh, it's naturally that way. But in some parts, I believe in the Southwest, uh, there's naturally occurring arsenic in the water. Uh, and then the question becomes, well, what's the safe level of arsenic? Um, we can't make it zero uh, just because, you know, human ability to completely remove arsenic from water uh, we just can't do it unless we put you know gazillions of dollars into it. So then the question is, okay, well, what reasonable amount of arsenic is acceptable in our water supply? Well, this affected, again, only a few water systems in the Southwest. But for some reason, it became this big show pony here in Washington that we're going to legislate for the nation. And it became interpreted by the public of, oh, there's either going to be arsenic in our water supply and we're all going to die from it, or there's going to be no arsenic and everything's going to be fine. When in fact, what really was the case was there was an arsenic level, a limit on arsenic already in place. uh, And it was going to be moved a little bit by the Clinton administration. But that little bit, which would have had some health effects, but the question is how much or how little, would have had significant costs because it it was pushing against the, the barrier of what science could do. Okay, classic example of a judgment call. What sort of trade-off are you going to make between costs and the possibility of someone getting sick? This isn't wasn't going to be a case of waves and waves of people on these water supplies getting sick. This was a chance that one person in X number of years might get sick on arsenic uh, because their body was naturally more susceptible to it than a normal than a, the average human being. Um, now. Us, you know, as, as good we we as good libertarians would listen to this and say, well, the answer to this is obvious. Why don't you leave it up to the local water systems and their people who have to pay the bills for for the water systems and and choose what risks they want? But no, it became this huge uh, Washington fight, and it was a fight over mostly symbolism. And that's what most of these midnight regulations, whether it's a left-leaning president or a right-leaning president, that's what most of these fights are. They are. 
um, really just moving goalposts very, you know, usually very small, uh, uh, you know, very small distances. And if you look at these OMB watch and, and, you know, what things the Bush administration is considering now, they're mostly moving goalposts very short distances, but they become huge symbolic fights. Tom Fiery is managing editor of Regulation magazine. You can subscribe to Regulation at our website, cato.org.